there's so many different time frames for the Santa Claus rally. I mean, I, I've heard people starting it at, you know, Thanksgiving, people starting at the first week of December, second week. Who knows at this point? It's like Black Friday, Cyber Monday's now a whole month. You know, the Santa Claus rally is just now didn't start November 1st. I don't even know why they call it that anymore. The other day I heard one of the th one of the questions of the day from some stupid show was, did the Santa Claus rally come in November? Well, then it's not the Santa Claus <laughs> That is rally. not the Santa Claus no, rally. No, in July, Jackass, yeah. right, yeah. I mean, November well, they have Christmas in July. Wait, they have <laughs> Christmas in July, so it could have, Jim. November is, okay. is historically one of the strongest months. I believe it might be the strongest month in equities. So that means if that's true, then it comes every month in November. And you might as well call it the last two-month rally as opposed to the Santa Claus. It's just stupid shit. Welcome back to the Futures Edge podcast. I'm Jim Murio. As always, the co-host and brains behind the operation, Bob Iaccino. And the first Friday of every month, we do one of my favorite uh, episodes because it, it's really, it's for the traders. And it's, uh, it's Mike Arnold, who's the chief technical strategist for Path Trading Partners. But before we get to Mike, oftentimes we talk about some macro themes, which I like. And Mike is more of a price guy. He does like to weigh in on the macro themes as well, too. Bobby, what do you got? Well, we have a chart up here, and I wanted to talk about it because we're recording on Tuesday as usual. It's December 5th, and David Malpass was on the station that shall not be named this morning. And I thought he made some good points, and I wanted to put a chart up to kind of represent it or, or show a visual of it. He talked about the Fed is actually being stimulative based on the supposed fact that they're paying out far more in interest than they're actually earning on their portfolio. They're paying out 5% on reverse repos, earning 1% on their holdings. So this is basically a loss, right? And that's printed money into the economy. So I want to know if you have any view on that. They're lending to the bank $650 billion for their new program and then taking in negative value. So it seems to me to be a little stimulative. And I don't know if you have any, you tend to deal with this stuff on a day-to-day -day basis more than I do. If you had any input on that or any thoughts about it before we go to mind. Well, first of all, I think it's absolutely stimulative, but I'd like to add something on top of it as well. And I just wrote a piece that I was about to send to you on, and it all came to my mind when we had Tracy Shukart on and she talked about the fact that perhaps the Fed doesn't really deserve credit for the lack of inflation. Perhaps what they've done is just lock up assets by the rapidity of their move. And the Treasury is actually being stimulative. Now, there's this as exhibit number one as them being stimulative. Uh, two is the tremendous amount of debt. Like, just to put it in perspective, the, they used to, three years ago, $500 billion um, a year was put out by the Fed on interest payments to people holding their bonds throughout the world. Okay, that yeah. number has gone up to a trillion. $8 trillion is coming due in the next 12 to 14 months that they have to roll from a net, their, their net rate now is like 3% into the current rates of 5%. So they're going to be injecting that much more money into the economy as well, too. So I can make the argument, when you, particularly when I see this chart, which is mind-blowing to me, that the Fed is working its butt off to stop inflation, not very effectively. The Treasury is working its butt off to increase inflation for some odd reason. They're, they're 
very stimulative policies as the federal government, probably just a crutch to the federal government. But the reason we've seen the, the uh, dramatic disinflation has been strictly the healing of supply chains. Does that make some sense to you guys? Yeah, and that's that's what I was hoping you wanted. You would have some insight on. And when you look at this, you're talking about large bank cash cash reserves, not quite parabolic, but quite a bit higher, right? And small bank cash reserves continuing to decline. So we talk about the regional bank crisis being over. Is it? I mean, no. one of the guys I talked to about this this morning, and you know, we can go to Mike whenever you want after this. But one of the guys I talked to about this morning used to be in our industry, and he is now basically. Uh, the CFO and one of the investment officers for a Midwestern private equity firm that's focused on commercial real estate. And he says that a lot of their small bank relationships are pulling back on lending dramatically, but the large ones are not. Those are, those are his words. So That makes me so incredibly sad. Yeah, to put that really in perspective, is. 20 years ago, there was 15,000 banks in this country. Now there's 4,000 banks in this country. The top 10 biggest banks God, I used to have this information right on the tip of my tongue, but we have so much more of a market share than they ever have in the past. This is, we're just in a war on small business economy. And, and Janet Yellen looked right in our faces and said it. Yeah, if you're a big bank, we will save you. If you're a small bank, you're out of luck. So and this not is a, important. This, not important. Yeah. And she said it. She's, we heard it. So anyway, amazing. that's what I want to chat with you about. Good. And Michael, what do you have to weigh in on this? Well, I think there's been a tremendous loosening recently of financial conditions, not only because of the rally we've had, but that stimulated the rally just in pure price action that there's been an underlying bid to everything for all of November, little weakening at the beginning of December so far, but not substantially a lot yet. We'll have to see uh, what's going to roll on. I'm real interested to see what happens this Friday. What's What day is Friday? The 8th. You're talking about the date? It's the 8th. Yeah, when the uh, corporate buyback window pretty much closes, or for all, you know, November, just as with uh, liquidity conditions, what what's that the record all time record for uh, share buybacks ever? And I also, by the way, that. real quick to add to that, the uh, number of companies that uh, discussed a reduction of buybacks in this past uh, set of earnings reports uh, is the highest since like 2018. So companies are pulling back on buybacks in their plans anyway. So I had another question for you, Bob. So financial conditions are loosening. Lending standards are loosening, except for the medium and small size banks. Inflation is dissipating. I still suggest that, and Jay Powell said it. He said that he thinks the neutral rate is somewhere below where we are now. Mm -hmm. So doesn't that mean to you that rates need to be lower? Uh, or what does it mean? So I'm going to go to our really good friend, Tom Cruise, who has never been on the show and, and we've never spoken to, but he's a dear dear. Turn me down like three times. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. In uh, A Few Good Men, he said, it doesn't matter what I believe. It only matters what I can prove. I'll warp that a little bit. It doesn't matter what I think they should do. It only matters what they'll do. And one of the things I struggle with, and I actually have started an article on this that I want to send you, as to why the market seems to think, even after this exercise, that just because the Fed is, it doesn't matter the Fed is saying we're not thinking about cuts, it's still correct to have 125 basis points priced in the next year. And yet literally every major speaker, every voting member, they may not be saying that rates might go higher. I think it was, uh, it wasn't Richmond, it was uh, John Williams said, oh, New York Fed President John Williams said, 
rates will likely stay higher. We're not thinking about cuts. Uh, Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin said it as well. Uh, Mary Daly said it. I think it was Christopher Waller who said that we would we might cut before we'll we'll tighten again. And and again, I'm sort of paraphrasing, obviously. And Powell certainly said it. But the market said, nah, you guys are wrong, even though you are the ones doing it. And I think the key is we're only now starting to see a little bit of labor weakness, a little bit of slack in the labor market, only now. And I think when the Fed said, first of all, you're still a percent and a half from the 2% target, yet we still are at full employment based on what everyone with any credibility thinks is full employment in the U.S. So it's 4.2% unemployment or below. Yeah, we can't have a show where, where we can't give the quote out. Everybody right. has a plan until they get punched in the face. Exactly. And, so and, why is the Fed going to rush? So this, this will be an indictment of the Fed if there wasn't enough of those in history already. If we still have unemployment, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the unemployment rate somewhere in the range of 3.94% and the stock market begins to fall and they cut, especially if you don't have inflation printing at least a two-handle, at least a two-handle is that they're so forward-looking and that things are falling apart. But yes, they do not want to be at the helm where things fall apart. They do not want to be at the helm where people are losing money. And we I all agree they're believe, terrible at their forward look, right? Terrible And they will still talk about raising rates until the day before they cut rates because that's and one of their so, tools. This is, one of the things that this is, yes. And this is one of the things that I want to point out to people. They will say it first. And then they'll do it at the very next meeting. They might even do it mid-meeting, but they'll say it yeah. first. And they haven't been saying it. So people think they're going to say it by March. If you look at what Mike put up on the screen here, thankfully, uh, it's like a 50... 100 and, like 120 basis points priced in for next year. You already said that, right? Yeah. What's the March meeting, Mike? Like over 55% that are going to cut yeah, rates 50, 55.7. They haven't even said it yet. I'll take that. I believe <laughs> they will. I don't think they'll cut in March. That you're you're basically thinking that the unemployment rate's gonna go from three point nine to four point four in three months. I mean I guess it could. You saw Spotify at seventeen. I think that's part of it, yeah. Spotify's laying off seventeen percent of their uh their workforce. Hey, the Jolt's jobs numbers came out this morning. And we don't give a fuck about that number, quite frankly. But it is the second time in the last four releases that it's been below nine million. And the other time was a revised lower. It came out higher than nine million, then was revised to like eight point nine something. Today was what? Eight point seven three something. Eight point seven three three. Okay. That is the lowest level since I can't remember when, but I'll pull it up for you. It's the lowest level in a long time. I forgot what our friend Mike Singleton told us about the Jolts number and I this really hit home to me. The net number know. is meaningless because it's a bunch of bullshit the way they compile it. However, the True. direction is important because it's the same level of bullshit each read, but if the, and if it's still trending down, that actually means something. So that was his thing too. And I, again, I believe the labor market is falling apart. I believe that it took so long because there was a labor shortage. So everybody was holding out to workers like grim death the same way they're holding on to their houses like grim death because they don't want to part with their 2.5% mortgage. But once it starts to dissipate, it'll dissipate hard. Totally agree. And it's the lowest level since uh, May of 2021. On the jolts. That's that's a big stretch of time. Also, why do that's we right. all say I say it too? Why do we say hold on to things like grim death? 
I, I'm not going to hold on to grim death. I'd like to let it go, quite frankly. Away. As a matter of fact, I'm so glad you pointed out, that's the takeaway for the show, that that's a stupid expression, and I will push away <laughs> like grim death. <laughs> push grim death away. Anyway, we're on, this, we're on sort of the same page. Uh, you think the fellow cut by March. I don't think they will, but I, we both agree that they'll say it first. The dollar I owe you? We're doing a single or nothing. That, that bet is called a what you owe me or nothing. What do the charts look like then? In the, in the view of our knowledge, our, our incredible, intelligent discourse, what are the charts telling us? What are the charts telling us? Well, we, we have a potential topping pattern, but it's a long way off from triggering. Until that happens, unless we get a, a smaller topping pattern, the trend is still up off. Probabilities still say for in the short term, we could tag about 46.47 in the S&P with the December contract. I'm still on the December contract because it doesn't roll for, what, a couple more weeks or starts rolling next week, actually. Until until it changes, you know, the technical trend is still up. I'm looking for stuff to fall to early personally, but, but that being said, you know, the short-term warning sets, I always like to give out levels. If you start seeing it, and this is based off the December contract, so you have to do the adjustment when we roll to March, just take the numbers and figure out the difference between decent March. Based off the December contract, it's right around early warning sign is 43.17 area on a closing basis. And then if you get a close below 41.22, it's uh-oh land. So that's those are the negative downsides based off the S&P futures. To the upside, as I said, 46.47 to 46.50 in the minor term. We break through that. The next harmonic area and a very key weekly area is 46.98 to 47.04 and then 47.62. If this goes on a mad rampage before I'm on again, because I always got to be prepared for any outcome, if we go to do all-time highs above 4808.25, we're looking at 4971 as the next key level. So that'd be the first kind of like people might want to hedge or, I mean, when you're talking about, you're just saying it's a level it's going to reach. So you, based on your own strategy, you do what you would do there. That would definitely be an area I'd be looking for. Somewhere near that area, I'd be looking for at least a minor reaction. But what's really key is if we start getting below that 41.22 on a closing basis, you have triggered a huge weekly double top. And I'd be looking for a weekly close to confirm that below that level. Yeah, we have the weekly 200 in the way, so you could get a little bounce around this uh, 4K. But if that doesn't really trigger much beyond a bounce then that the pattern probabilities uh would be to retest the october 22 lows now this may never trigger but you got to be prepared that's why i like to put out the levels because now i know my levels unless something like that happens i can stick with any of the short term uh, the shorter shorter term setups which would be more on a daily basis do either one of you guys know I'm going to guess no, but do either one of you guys know if equity markets have ever made a new all-time high while a curve is still inverted? I've never looked at it, so I don't know. No idea. I don't know off the top of my head. All right, cool. 
We'll find out sometime in the next 25 shows. And we'll let you guys know. I thought you were going to say this recent, you know, meteoric rise, however many days that's been, right up until that top from a couple of weeks ago was coming into hard, pretty, pretty substantial resistance and it needed to prove itself now. You didn't. You said it's still, this looks like a good pattern. Does that mean nothing to you, that former top? This former top right here? This is a very key area we're against. But again, until I get a, a more recent topping pattern, if we pull back, it's not necessarily a longer term top. I mean, we could pull back to even 4,500 without doing any any real technical damage. Uh, see a specific topping pattern is what you're saying. I got what you're saying. Yeah, the, the only longer term topping pattern is this huge double top against a very key level. And again, just because I point out there's a huge potential, I'm going to stress the word potential because it may never – we could keep on marching higher. That, crazier things have happened in this market, especially with the easing of uh, liquidity. So we'll just have to see. Now, do personally, if you were going to ask me, I think there's going to be some hiccup in December that's going to take people off guard a little bit more, and it, it could – jeopardize some of the whatever there's so many different time frames for the santa claus rally i mean i i've heard people starting it at you know thanksgiving people starting at the first week in december second week who knows at this point it's like black friday cyber monday is now a whole month you know the santa claus rally is just now did it start november 1st who i don't even know why they call it that anymore the other day i heard one of the th one of the questions of the day from some stupid show was did the Santa Claus rally come in November? Well, then it's not the Santa Claus. <laughs> then it's rally. not the Santa Claus no, rally. No, in July, Jackass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, November. Well, they have Christmas in July. Wait, they have <laughs> Christmas in July, so it could have, Jim. November is, okay. is historically one of the strongest months. I believe it might be the strongest month in equities. So that means if that's true, then it comes every month in November, and you might as well call it the last two month rally. As opposed to the Santa Claus, it's just stupid shit. The, the other thing is, I keep talking to people, and I talked, to, you know, since since the Thanksgiving time frame, and ev I mean, I can't say everyone, but this is roughly ninety five percent. They're all in. It's the no brainer. This is the literally the no brainer trade holding through the end of the year into mid July. It's the no brainer. Whenever I get ninety five percent of the no brainer trade, I, I definitely take a pause because. Okay, mm -hmm. if if it if it's always that easy, <laughs> <laughs> just do those trades. Yeah, load up on them. Yeah, I'll back up the truck. <laughs> Mike, here's my question: we, we, uh, Before we establish the negative three to positive three Muriel scale on the next week, what where are you on that scale in the next week? Hey, Jim, before you say that, can I ask you to stretch that out because it's literally going to be five more days before anyone even sees this. Of course. Let's say until the end of the year, what are you, neg the negative three to positive three? I'm a zero. So you're a neutral. I like it. I'm a neutral. I am, from my perspective, remember, I think it was on the last one we mentioned the percent B buys. Everything's in trailing mode from my perspective. You know what? It's not rushing in unless we really get some moment, start getting momentum above 4650 then there could be some short term maybe add on continuation that we could be approaching that all time highs but right now it's more cautious 
We're at weekly cycle tops. We're at daily cycle tops. So far, it's pretty much been a sideways correction slash pause. But this is not an area I'd be, hey, let's just back it up and start putting on a lot more risk. The reward to risk ratio does not favor establishing new risk at this point from everything I'm following. It's managing your current positions and, and tightening up risk. So if we do get a rollover, then, hey, we're going to lock in some profits. We're going to take some chips off the table and we're going to wait then to see how big the pullback is. As before we go on. What's our cheap too? Yes. Oh, yeah. By the way, are we going to do another stock check? Because I want to talk about just give me a minute. Go on the Sunday night, December third, when you guys popped on your future screen, gold was up a hundred bucks. Yep. Bitcoin was through the roof. Silver was up an inordinate amount. It looked like the shit was hitting the fan. The shit that we've talked about for a long, long time, which is overspending by the government, dollar weakness policies. It seemed like everybody was rushing. Now it's two days later, and it seemed like the gold thing was possibly just a short covering. Although Bitcoin is a goddamn rocket ship, um, I, I do. I know we probably want to look at Nasdaq first, unless you, I think gold is the most important thing because the fundamental argument for gold seemed to match the technical trade, and then all of a sudden it reversed on its ear, and it's very, very confusing to me. I want to know what you guys think on it. Can we go gold and then Nasdaq? Yeah, sure. let's go gold. I want to say what I what I did with gold first because. You guys both know that I have a physical gold holdings that I only add to, right? But I do have occasional gold trades. And some of it, by the way, is physical. Like sometimes I'll go in and just buy a couple extra coins. No big deal. I'm not talking about bars. I'll go in and be like, you know what? I'm, give me a couple of coins also. I'll trade those out because they're not part of my core position, right? It's opportunity to make a hundred bucks here or there or whatever. I sold gold. Um, I sold a couple of coins on the rally in uh, October, end of October, sold a couple of coins. And from there, we actually, from right around where I sold them, we dropped about, in price, we dropped about 3.5%, with less than that, okay? And then we then commenced this rally that we're now in, which is great because that's just, that's a buy and hold rally. When I saw what happened Sunday night, Monday morning, the first thing I did was get dressed and go to drive my ass over to uh, the executive bullion in Fort Myers, Florida, sell a few more, right? Because I thought that's a crazy move. And I, they didn't open. The move had already reversed before they opened. So I went back home. To me, gold, and we'll see what Mike says about the charts. To me, gold broke out and people went nuts because it broke out. And now it's pulling back to test the breakout level, which is where I actually like to buy more. Mikey? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Sorry. <laughs> to a T. Mike on the show then. I'm just Don't I'm even kidding you, Mike. Anymore. I'm not kidding you, Mike. That's why I yes. wanted to say it first. I didn't want to be like, I agree with him. Okay, move on. No, because, all right, I got a monthly chart up here. Let me just put up the monthly chart. So we had this major breakout. I'm just going to fine-tune the levels a bit off the monthly. So you had these, these monthly top areas, this triple top, and then we have the candle bodies, which I really watch for. So this was the breakout zone. We uh, closed within that breakout zone month of November, and then December we did pop up. Let me take it back to that daily. Popped up. I saw that same open on Sunday night, and I'm like, whoa. 
Oh, wowzers. And then, you know, by Monday morning, the first thing I looked at was gold. I got up. I'm like, oh, what's gold? Do what? But if you take this into the bigger perspective, back to the monthly, if you see, it's not surprising to see a reaction there. But if we take the zone between about 2078 and about 1997, just call it 2000 to about 2075, I'll pull back into this. If we keep holding this 2000 area, then that's just a breakout and a retest. Now, you start dropping back below 1905. Uh, it's not good. You get a close below 1820, not very, very not good. Then that would be a false breakout, and I'd expect a bigger pullback. Now, that being said, I'm still, based off long-term patterns, uh, whether this breakout holds or whether we pull back a little more and then charge up here again, I'm still watching for higher continued price action. But in the short term, it's really critical that it holds around this 2000 level without substantially closing much below it. Does anyone know what the financial news was that caused that spike? Was there anything? I never saw anything. It, it was the stuff I saw. There was like essentially some panic buying out of Asia. Okay. Because it reversed. It felt like cover my shorts at any price is what it felt like. That's what it I felt need like. to get out of this trade. Yeah, yeah. totally agree. Totally agree. So, that's, what do you want to do now? That's really. I actually want to jump back to Nasdaq. Uh, I discussed uh, on Schwab's internal show. I discussed gold today, and one of the things that I said uh, that I still think was, you know, again, we have the dollar up. Again, this is Tuesday, so you guys won't see this for almost a week. We have the dollar up two consecutive sessions, four of the last five, and that's with yields doing both things. They dropped, they rallied, they dropped again, and the dollar still kind of drove higher. And that, to me, is just weakness versus other countries and yield differentials, right? Their, their, current, their uh, interest rate yields differentials on their bonds. And gold is held up really well, despite all of that. So I'll, I'll use, I really like what Mike said about the S&P and maybe I'll use it for gold as well. It's probably not, at least as we're speaking right now, a place to add longer term gold holdings. But I will if this two day pullback holds. I think I will as well. Because I remember thinking on Sunday, because, you know, I've been pushing this gold and even the Bitcoin thing for a for few a months time. now. Yeah. And I was like, wow, shit, I don't have enough on, which is so funny because it, it, you know, when you when you don't have enough on, it's just as bad as when you have too much on. It's never it's never enough, right? Yeah. But I am looking for a little more. What do we got? Nasdaq, dollar. Let's do the dollar. This is the dollar. Then we'll jump to the Nasdaq. But the dollar, I'm watching. I remember a couple a number of shows I've talked about that fifty to sixty two and a half percent major reversal zone. Yeah. Last week, the dollar dipped into that, almost down that 62.5%, which was 102.04, and the lows was 102.06. Uh, if it had closed below that 102.04, I would have maintained a bearish stance on the dollar. But now we're getting a very key reversal out, out of the reversal zone. I'm going to be watching to see if, uh, if the dollar does close this week that we're recording above 103.32, because it would be a weekly percent B buy against a major support reversal zone. Uh, so there's some really good stop levels, which 
is always required around that 102 area, but we could see a bounce. Even if we close above this level and do a short-term pullback, we could be making a more substantial bottoming pattern in the dollar with dollar uh, cycles at the bottom. So we should be turning up sideways to up for possibly two to three weeks at least. And uh, score on negative three, positive three. What score for the for the rest of the year? For the rest of the year, based off this would be about a one, but if we get a more substantial bottoming pattern, it would go to a two. This is shifting from uh, from the pullback. I was at minus one, now we're at positive one. So that's a two point swing. It's crazy. On October 25th, the 10 year note settled about 495, right? I'm pretty sure that was the high settle. I'm not positive. That was definitely right in that area of days where the 10 year broke through 5% briefly and then came off. And as we speak now, we're 418. That's a big drop. Also, some people are saying that's a little bit stimulative, but we talked about that already. When you look at the dollar, even at 418, the 10-year, the yield differential is starting to strengthen versus, for example, the German boon. What is it, the bobble or the gilt? I think it's the gilt for the UK. That's the 10-year. So, yeah. Jimmy, based on your interest rate expertise, you have a lot of expertise, distance running, burgers, not, not weightlifting, but that's okay. <laughs> your interest rate expertise, do you expect that to continue? Because I think that says a lot about what's going to happen with the dollar. I think happened in our um, long duration. It go stems back. First, there was a series of shitty auctions. There was a 10-year and two 30-years that went poorly. I mean, and it seemed like the market was definitely didn't have the appetite for duration that the Treasury had anticipated. So then all of a sudden comes that one day where they announced the refunding. And it's conspicuously light on selling anything long duration. I think that sparked a, a normal move lower in yields, but also a short covering uh, rally in bonds that has driven us down to 4.18. I still, I think the real move is higher rates on the long end, lower rates on the short end. But I think this is just one of those periods where they got to make guys like us sweat. And I do have the trade on. I have the steepener on for, uh, which I'm, I'm fine. I, I bought it at negative 33 and then bought it again at negative 50. So we're right in the middle of that uh, for the it's twos versus tens trade I have on. But I think the, the fake move, the short covering move, is the move down from, let's call it 4.8 to 4.2. And I think eventually those are going to go higher again. So I think the dollar could continue rallying based on rate differential too. But every time we talk about the dollar index, I want to make sure people understand that it's not the actual value of the dollar. It's the value of the dollar against the yen and the euro and a couple other currencies in there that are also involved in the same sort of poor stewardship of their currency that we're doing here, where we're borrowing shit tons of money and spending that. like drunken sailors. So the real measure of the strength of the dollar would be against things like gold and Bitcoin and platinum and copper. But the things we're talking about are also denominated in dollars. So it does matter. I just, and, and I know I'm probably kind of meandering here a little bit, but I do think the dollar is, is an interesting trade, if that makes sense. Yeah, I want to mention real quick, since we're about the middle, well, the middle end of the show, coming to the end of the show, that this, I think, is the first episode sponsored by Mint Mobile. And I'm switching. But other than that, just because you guys obviously know we're sponsored, I'm going to tell you it's great. Our friend Jim Cagnina from Ninja Traders told me he, ha he has had Mint for a while. And he said he, there is no difference. He uses Mint and he's got no issues with it, and it's basically a third to a half the cost of what he used to carry. Correct. I just wanted to mention that real quick. <laughs> no, I, we should mention that too. Now. 
yeah, people, we have real life sponsors. Ryan Reynolds, yeah. who's become a good friend of Bobby and I, has asked us to sponsor. We, no, we, we met him through him. Tom Cruise, right? Or was it the other way around? <laughs> Tom Cruise. But yeah. he owns Mint Mobile, right? He does. And I love Ryan Reynolds. I think when he did that aviation gin commercial after the woman did the Peloton commercial, do you know what I'm referring to or not? I don't. So remember in 2019, there was this Peloton commercial that had a woman who was given a Peloton by her husband and everybody on social media erupted because it looked like she was almost like being forced oh, yeah, to exercise. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Then, so then he then does a commercial for his aviation gin with that same woman being counseled by her two friends for her divorce, the same actress playing it. And it is one of the funniest things I've seen on TV ever. Look it up, up. aviation gin Peloton commercial. I gotta but uh, anyway, so I, I'm a fan of uh, Ryan Reynolds and I'm a fan of Min Mobile. And if it's, if it's a third of the price and you get the same coverage, well, sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm moving right along. I'm definitely in. Oh, okay. and people, don't look down at us for hawking something for our sponsorship. It's what we do. We can't do this for free all the time, so back off. <laughs> Otherwise, you got to pay for the damn show. So yeah, I mean, you want to pay for it, jackass? What's the mint? And then you don't have to pay for the damn show. You save okay. money on mobile, and the show stays free. How about that? How about that? Bobby, over the last two and a half years, it seems like everything has gone so high up in price. Do you ever ask, why the heck? Is my wireless bill so unbelievably high? Absolutely. I mean, what are we paying all that money for? Is it speed, coverage, data, access to 5G, unlimited talk, text, mobile hotspots? It's a lot. Well, the Futures Ed podcast is partnering with Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers all of these features that you just mentioned for as low as $15 per month. They're built on the nation's largest 5G network and keep costs low because they sell direct to you online. They cut out the retail stores and the salespeople. We've all seen those annoying stores in the strip malls. Yeah, and so people have to ask themselves, why do you want to pay more? for access to the exact same network. Go to mintmobile.com slash futures edge. Also linked in the podcast description to get premium wireless for $15 a month. My family's changed. And I'll tell you one of the biggest things that struck me, Jimmy, is our cell phone bill, our mobile phone bill was actually three times my first car payment, which was a beautiful electric blue Iroxy Camaro with a 5.7 liter engine. You know I wish I still had that thing. How am I supposed to follow that here? Okay, so <laughs> tell them now, how hard is it to switch service? Because Big Wireless wants you to believe it's really, really hard. Switching to Mint is super easy thanks to digital eSIM cards, which most phones have now anyway. You can sign up and activate immediately right on your phone from the comfort of your couch, your desk, your bed, whatever. If your phone doesn't have an eSIM, Mint will ship you a new SIM card for nothing. Okay, up to this point, the big wireless companies wanted you to think that they were the only option. Don't be duped. And now you're gonna receive an additional three months free if you purchase a three month plan using our link, mintmobile.com slash futures edge, also linked in the podcast. This offer's available on all plans, including the unlimited plan. Not a conspiracy theory. Go to our partner, mintmobile.com slash futures edge to get premium wireless for as low as $15 a month. Buy three months, get three months free. Go there now. Mikey, what Where are we looking at? What are, well, I just had, since you were talking about the 10 year yield, I was just looking at the 10 year yield that we just hit yeah, the please. 87 and a half rule. So yeah. I'm watching going? for a bottoming setup around here. Uh, we don't have one yet. 
There you go. Hey, real quick, can we go to uh, the NASDAQ? Then I want to talk about crude. And while you're switching the charts, I just want to read something that I screenshotted from my TV up in the corner here for you two uh, remaining Illinois dwellers. I just wanted to read this because I thought it was, um, I thought it was funny. You guys might think it's interesting. So it says here that this was on Bloomberg. Illinois' debt owed to its pension funds rose for the second straight year, spurred this time by a recent rise in salaries that will be used to calculate future benefit payments. The unfunded pension liability across Illinois' five retirement systems rose 1.8% to $142.3 billion. That's the unfunded portion in the fiscal year that ended in June based on the market value of their assets, according to a report from the Illinois Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability on Tuesday, based on market value of the assets, which what do they own? Stuff's going up. And then lastly, the increase this year was due mainly to, this is their quote, a larger than expected salary increase on all five systems, according to the report. There's Larger than expected. Can I add something to that real quickly? Yeah. And by the way, if you guys who are listening to this, this is one of the things that in, is involved with interest rates and with the Fed and with the federal government, because states like Illinois and the, five, the fab five states that can't pay their bills. I surmised back in 2019 in a radio show that Illinois could find $200 billion laying in a basement somewhere that they owned. Not only would they not use it to pay their bills, they'd spend it by Thursday and then budget for finding $200 billion every week in the same basement and still be broke. Now, it was funny because I said that on a radio show in 2019, and then guess how much was pumped into our economy by the federal government during the COVID mitigation strategies? $205 billion when you count every one of these. So the fact that we haven't paid any of our bills and our bills are getting worse, despite the fact that we got $200 billion, means that we will never fix our stuff here. It is unbelievable. And I got, we'll I got, an event, I got a couple mm-hmm. investors lined up for Brant, Southwest Florida. So just let me know. All right. Like a good burger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can we do NASDAQ? Is this NASDAQ? This is NASDAQ. Let's do it. All right. Pretty much everything is the same as the S&P from all all the macro thoughts. Uh, Right now, as long as it's holding about 15,850 on a weekly closing basis, it's just a sideways correction. The key lines in the sand, and this will again have to be adjusted for the roll, March roll, but based off DEES, it's 14,915 on the short term closing basis. And then the uh-oh moment is 14140. You get a weekly close below 14140. Uh, we could be headed back, worst case scenario, to uh, just in front of 12K. So that would be the uh-oh moment. Now, to the upside, we've already we, we reconnected. We hit the 87.5 uh, harmonic again at the 16K area. The minor target, should we remain in bullish mode, 16.303, 16.575. And then if it breaks out to new all-time highs or all new-time highs, I love that. is 17.552. Still five and a quarter percent away from new uh, all new-time highs. All new-time highs. Florida, Mike has always said that, Jimmy, just so you know. By the way, and I will continue saying, I have two questions, though, Mike. The fact that it's stopped and appears to be consolidating consolidating above those same equivalent levels that I pointed out in the S&P 
does that make it more bullish to you one and then throughout the end of the year zero uh, negative three to positive three again i'm uh probably about 0.5 in the nasdaq but because because it's above those levels right because it's above those levels but that's why we start breaking down the short term the the negative is we we are massively overbought and we got daily and weekly cycles at the top now as long as this is just pausing and sideways correction and it it bases here with the, above that about 15850 on a weekly closing basis so let's say we don't get a key close below that it's a sideways correction basing above prior major resistances turning into major support it could it could make a, a shot for those highs it's again this is something that is in manage mode from my perspective not let's back up the truck and take on a lot of new risks because the reward to risk is skewed the risk becoming more and more prevalent versus the potential reward again i'm not going to try to make two or three percent and risk 20 percent. that's that that's not a good long-term trading strategy can we do Bobby, i want to hit crude and bitcoin but sometimes you like to hit some of the names too and no, you know, i don't, run I don't have any of those today i literally am uh, am out of almost everything individual but i would like to look at the Go russell on. real quick because oh, the russell, sure. historically small caps outperform large caps and that has not been the case for quite a while now russell's been i mean that it sort of went on a it base here's a great example of the sideways base and then the breakout Mm-hmm. So it, it broke above the 1790, which was very key resistance, tested it multiple times over about two weeks with slightly higher highs and then broke through it. Now, in the short term, it did close above this 1875 very key level. So we could see some more upwards pressure on the Russell. However, I'd really need it to close above 1875 on a weekly basis. Right now, we've retested. The it's close about that on a daily basis, but the weekly trumps the daily between 1828 and 1875 is a major reversal zone. It's also against the flat 200, which has been some very strong resistance and support previously. Uh, it held up in in August as support that we broke below it, retested in September before we did the massive breakdown and now is retesting that same key area. So in order for me to stay short-term bullish, I need a weekly close above 1875. Other than that, I'm watching for a potential uh, pullback. And the first key area on the pullback is about 1828. Anywhere between 1812 and 1828, we start closing back below 1812. We could uh, be, this would be turning into a uh, corrective flagging channel pattern i'd watch for it to break down potentially and if look it's a land in the sand we get a weekly close above that and it you know kind of reinvigorates your short-term books and if i'm yes. wrong about like if i'm wrong about the fed and they start cutting be interesting to see because the nasdaq as i mentioned about 5.2 percent away from its all-time high the russell's over 24 percent away from its all-time high so if the fed starts easing and if by some miracle, the long rates stayed or even went higher thinking inflation was going to come and we uninverted. So now we've got a, a normalized curve and we've got NASDAQ at new all-time highs. The Russell or small caps uh, in general might be a way to kind of play catch up with some of this stuff. 
because you still got a big move for the Russell to get to it. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to, and it doesn't mean the NASDAQ's going to stay up. But a lot of people want to go into the thing that seems strong as opposed to looking for the thing that has a strong pattern that has a lot more making up to do. Now, as I mentioned, small caps have historically outperformed large caps. That includes tech. Doesn't mean that has to continue. I want to stress that. And maybe it was about six months ago. And my big idea was long Russell and uh, short NAS. And it worked like fantastic for about yeah. five days. And I, I didn't take two thirds of it off. But I still have that last third <laughs> on, which I've lost I do, more yeah. than I made on the, the other two thirds. But I am that. looking at some point to add. Can we look at uh, crude oil before we go to Bitcoin? I know we got to get Bitcoin in here for sure. Yep. But I just want to talk a little bit about crude oil. I just want to point a couple of things out about it. Uh, number one, seven, se seven consecutive sessions lower, okay? From a perspective of the last time, just because something happened before certainly doesn't mean that it, it's going to happen again, right? I mean, I, you know, we bring these things up sort of contextually more than that's what happened, so that has to happen again. But when you look at the last time that we had seven consecutive days lower, the full move before it ended was 43%. Okay, and this particular seven-day move that we're currently in is only down, I think, around 17%. Mike, I could be wrong on that. But it was from October 8th of 2018 to Christmas Eve of 2018. That's the last time we had seven consecutive sessions lower in price. So this is a real move. Now, we are coming up on the 200. Mike will talk about that, the 200 week. So that matters. But this particular move to me matters because, Jimmy, you remember we were talking about uh, trade years roundup was did they call it the roundup and it was a, a crude oil specific thing and you said to me so you're looking to buy and i said no i'm looking to sell rallies so we got that rally on the promised opec cuts but some people are like why did that happen and, and there's a lot to that but the main gist of it is they're not mandated cuts which the opec members don't stick to anyway they're suggestions and so we, all we know is that Saudi Arabia will probably cut a little more. We have no idea if any of this cut's going to happen. And lastly, before Mike talks about the chart, Jimmy, you've been asking me for about a month and a half, two months now to write a substack on the actual process of from leasing to exploration to drilling a, a rig. And I did it. The thing is, within a couple of days of that, CME asked me for a crude oil article. So I sent it to him. Now, if they reject this article, it's going on our Substack. But otherwise, it's going on CME's website. I'm going to send it to you after we're done recording here so you can use the data. But the gist of it is three to five years. That doesn't include the leasing of private or federal lands. It doesn't include that process. So you're talking about three to five years. So what that means is the oil we're seeing now, if you were going to credit or blame an administration, the oil we're seeing now is still the last administration's oil. Now, I don't do that because it's the oil companies and the price and a lot of other factors. You both know that. But the people who are out there saying, thanks to Biden, we're drilling record number of oil, no. If you're out there saying thanks to Trump, probably still no, but that's more likely to be what it is, considering that we're 44% lower in rig counts with record production than we were the last time we had production near this amount. So we have trouble coming in the future combined with the SPR shortage. Big trouble. This is a really bad long-term forecast. Now, what do the charts say? That could be something different. Well, the charts say we are getting closer to a very potential key bottom. 
uh, right around anywhere, really, I was watching the 72, 73 to 70.50 area. We closed below 70.50, then the next target would be 67.56, but 70 to 70.50 is very, very key. We're at major cycle bottoms, we're very, very oversold, and we're coming into a key target area. And from anybody who does Elliott Wave stuff, we're actually at the end of, we're getting to the end of a wave count also down here. So just because you have a lot of things say there's going coming major support, it could theoretically keep going lower. But in the short term, I'm starting to watch for a, a significant bottoming formation. Now, based off how this week looks like it's shaping up, if then we were to close above in the short term basis back above 75, technically 75.03 it would be a short-term uh reversal bounce pattern and then a close back above 80 would be a more significant confirmation of at least a a bigger bottom being put in but those are the key levels i'm watching if we do close you can see uh back when we've talked about this multiple months ago where I've cited a weekly close below the 200 is substantial. And you can see the number of times this is red line down here back from June, May, May, March, that we could not sustain a close on a weekly basis below that area. That area right now is sitting at 7050. So that's the very key level I'm watching on a weekly basis. You're, you're looking for potential bottom. From the negative three to positive three for the next month, you sound like you're slightly above the positive, pen, pending that things happen. But we've come a long way down, correct? We've come a long way down. So roughly I'd say I'm a zero right now because we've got waning momentum. We've got a lot of things. So this is like at the tail end of the move. Would I be looking to pile in shorts here? No. This is now managing any short positions looking for trailing stops and looking for a bottoming pattern. If I had a bottoming pattern or if we close the, like next week above this 75 area, then I'm going to shift from zero to probably about one and on the bullish point, side. Well, while Mike's pulling up Bitcoin, to that point, again, it's five years ago, the last time we had seven consecutive sessions lower. So it doesn't happen all that often. Right. So it clearly seems to be at least the waning days of this part of the move. But there certainly could be more after a pause. When Mike's well, Mike's getting Bitcoin up, I have a confession to make to you too, Bobby. I wrote up a beautiful substack, but I happened to send it to uh, one of Glenn Beck's producers and they were like, Oh shoot, we're taking that. We want this to put it on the Blaze website. So I said Gotta that. Gotta do it. <laughs> Gotta okay, do it. Yeah. Anyway, here we go with Bitcoin. Okay. Major key. This does not mean the uptrend right now has to stop, but we're massively overbought on a weekly basis. We are at weekly cycle tops, and we're between the um, the key area of 42.230 to 48.922. Anywhere in that is a major, major reversal zone. We A few weeks ago, we broke out. It took a built a massive sideways base. You can see here how we had the massive sideways channel that took, how long did it sit in there? From March of 23 till it broke out in the end of October. And uh, now we've hit the next key area. Does that mean S reverse again? No, but at, however, 
We've gone much more parabolic on the daily. We're at insanely overbought conditions and we're at cycle top. So I'm watching for a at least a pause pullback. A pause pullback here could easily see a return to 37.5 at least uh, without doing major technical damage. Uh, but in the short term, there is nothing. There's no topping pattern besides a potential parabolic blow off, which I would not be chasing higher at this point. This is actually where I look to uh, significantly raise stops into this kind of thing, because you could see a very quick and sudden reversal in in Bitcoin being what Bitcoin does and giving everything that's gone on with Binance. And I, I still have very cautious because of the a ripple effect effect that could eventually hit tether i've i've been waiting on that shoe to drop for years but i mean tether's been on a, a massive printing spree too and i think a bunch of whale, whales could be dumping into this move at some point two guys before about how i trade bitcoin every week for the last like six years i have just a periodic weekly buy at first with no big deal now all of a sudden i look at it like shit. i have a lot of bitcoin enough to begin to worry about but I don't want to sell it because I don't want to take a tax consequence. And I don't, I mean, I'm not doing this to plug CME products, but I am considering, you know, hedges when I start to see what looks like a topping pattern or a rollover, hedging it with that so I don't have to sell anything out and take any con uh, tax consequences. Bobby, you agree with that strategy? Completely agree. I mean, look, I think that Bitcoin is now almost universally accepted as something that's not going away. But yeah, but two of the things that I still worry about, you know, we, we have a prominent Bitcoin congressman who's about to retire. And by, I call him a Bitcoin congressman because he's a supporter of Bitcoin um, and a proponent of allowing it to to sort of exist the way it exists. Um, I forgot his name, but he's not running for reelection. And when you look at these kinds of things, there are only two things to me that could stop Bitcoin. And one of them might actually spur more people into it. That's the outright illegalization. Is that a word? Making something illegal. They say you cannot transact legally in Bitcoin if the U.S. government does that. And if the U.S. government does it, it's only a matter of time before at least the G7 does it. If they don't actually lead with it. China's already virtually outlawed it. They're not in the G7. But the other thing being Tether. I mean, this Tether thing has not gone away. It's just not being reported on as much except by people like Mike. So that Tether thing, man, that is, that is, most Bitcoin is bought with Tether, or at least the transaction starts there. I saw the CEO of Ripple on this morning, and he says they use stable coins to establish credit in order to buy Bitcoin. And if that stable coin is a Ponzi scheme, I'm not saying it is, I'm saying a lot of people have called it that. But if it is, they're establishing exactly. credit on top of a false asset. It's like a Ponzi scheme that was run on Charles Ponzi. Look, it's even worse. It's a nightmare. Worse, if right? it is. <clears throat> yeah, if it is. Interesting. I think the yeah, best thing that could happen to Bitcoin would be to, to the outright banning of stable coins. Not banning of Bitcoin, but the outright banning of stable coins. Uh, second, 30 second explanation as to why you think that? Because there's no proof and there hasn't been proof. How has Tether ever been audited? I'm just citing on Tether because it's the biggest one. You know, all of a sudden you see the whale moves and like, 
why not just go buy Bitcoin? Why convert it to Tether when you're converting a, a billion dollars, all this other junk? They don't have to prove that the money is actually there that they're minting. So you can mint and there's been a lot of other crappy stuff. And you start looking at the way the minting process goes in Tether. And there's a lot of uh, questions that are raised. And so, especially when there's key areas that are going to break in the uh, patterns of the market, when there's they need to have an underlying bid and all of a sudden all the tether starts ramping up. So, if you were to clean out these stable coins, because they're, or you'd have to make them fully audited by, you know, a, a big four auditing firm, which uh, don't get me started on big four auditing firms either. That's why I prefer to them be gone because then let's just, let's get the, let's get some of the very, very shady aspect of the crypto that still remains out of the way and then see how this thing trades and how we can truly trade it. Otherwise, it's still a very, very potentially highly manipulated market. Meeting some friends at the bar. Uh, which is going to be good. So have a good night, you guys. Good to see you, buddy. Mikey, good to see you. Thanks, guys. Cheers, everybody. Thank you.